Children are dismissed. It's so awesome to see the future of our church go back there and learn. I'm so thankful for the teachers that have taken their time to pour into these kids, and um, they are the next generation coming up. And boy, do we need them strong and knowledgeable in God's word. So rejoicing means to feel or show great joy or delight. And joy means a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So if we, put, if we take the word rejoice and kind of put it into uh, context and what it says and what it means, it's basically that you feel and show that we have great pleasure, happiness, and delight in our God. And when do we do that? Always. Always. And that, that to me is the, the tough part. I don't know about you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Really? It says, again, I say rejoice. Peter wrote this to encourage others while he was in prison and facing trial for his life. He was not sitting in his million-dollar home in an expensive suit and gold rings on his fingers, telling you that if you reach out and call the hotline now and give $25 that God has an amazing miracle waiting for you. We laugh, but that still goes on today. And we wonder why people look at Christianity as a joke. That is a disgusting thing. I'm sorry, I just had to get that out of my system. Last week we talked about rejoicing even when we think there's nothing to rejoice about. I know for some of you, you walked into here today and you feel like there's nothing to rejoice about. And you feel guilty thinking that because you're a Christian and you go to church and everything should be okay all the time, 100%. Well, it's not going to be. How's that for a message? You're not going to be happy all the time. Bye. See you next Sunday. We ask, we pray, and we seek. And then when we find, that's when the work begins. I started really thinking about this in terms of rejoicing. And, you know, when the Lord gives us something or, or gives us a goal or gives us something that we have to do for him, and we, are, we pray and we ask and we seek him with it. We seem to always think that it's in the seeking is where all the work and hard work is. When we seek to try to find that thing that God has for us, and we figure that that's where the struggle is, right, to get there, to get to that place where God wants us to be. But I'll submit to you today that we will struggle when we find more than we struggled when we seek. I know that sounds counterintuitive and kind of weird, but when I read scripture and the stories of people that were sent out by God, when they came upon the place that God was sending them, that's when the struggling usually started for them. And we'll use Moses as, as a uh, character witness to this. He was sent to bring people to the promised land. And we all know, most of you hopefully know the story about Moses and the, and the traveling that they did. It was difficult. It was painful. 
Um, there were people that died. It wasn't a very pleasant journey, but they knew they were going to the promised land. And when you have God tell you that I'm taking you to the promised land, and he explained it as flowing with milk and honey and all this stuff. And if you don't like milk or honey, I mean, it was just, that was like the best stuff to eat back then, I guess. But we'll say it's flowing with pizza and donuts. And you just know that everything is worth the struggle to get there. When you get there, that's all you're going to be doing is sitting there eating bonbons and somebody's going to be um, um, cooling you off with a big leaf or something. I don't know. Whatever you picture in your mind when, when God says, I'm taking you to the promised land. But when they got there, what they didn't see was a big banner from God that said, welcome. You would have been here sooner if you just listened to me, but you're here, so welcome to the promised land. They didn't get to the promised land and just lay down all their burdens and just thrive for the rest of their days. We know that's not true because we read it. Most of us, we know the story. When they got to the promised land, they had to fight giants, literal giants, I mean, Literal. Just about everyone else that was on the land that promised them, that was promised to them by God, they had to fight for it. You see, just because God gives you a vision and God promises you something and you journey and you finally seek and you find it, it's not time to rest. In fact, it's time to fight. For them, it was a time to fight. They had to claim it. I think we get into the mindset that one day all of our battles will be over and we can just rest and have peace for the rest of our life. And yes, of course that will happen, but not here, not now, not while we were on earth. So why do we do it? Why do we seek? Why do we serve and follow God if he's just going to give us, you know, things that we're going to struggle with? It's going to be difficult. Well, you have two options, as my, do- my, my daughter, my sister likes to say. Um, you have two options. You can either serve God or you don't have to serve God. However, there will be troubles in both scenarios. The difference is God knows what you need. He created you. He designed you. The world will try to change who you are to get you away from who you were meant to be. I can't stress that enough. Ever wonder why we believe the lies of the enemy? Have you ever wondered why sometimes what the enemy says, you kind of like, well, that really makes logical sense to me, and I, I get it, I understand it, and yeah, it seems to be a good path for me to go. The enemy caters to our humanity, which is something that is temporary, and God caters to our spirituality. Spirituality, something that is eternal. There are two different methods that are being used here. The enemy wants to get you off track now in your humanness. God wants to keep you forever in eternity with him. That's the battle. The enemy has an advantage, though, because he dangles these things in front of us that seem like very alluring and doesn't seem to be a downside, and things are easier If we're being honest, if we really don't want to follow God and we want to follow the ways of the world, I would submit that a lot of times that's an easier path. Not that there's no difficulties, but I tell you one thing, it ends in death. 
It ends in death. You know, the enemy is all about pleasing the flesh. If it feels good, do it. If it seems right to you, do it. But when trouble, troubles come, and they will come, that enemy will leave you to your own. It's not going not gonna to care. It doesn't care. Absolutely doesn't. I couldn't imagine facing some of the things in my life and, and thinking that I'm all alone. I couldn't imagine that. And there's nobody I can run to and turn to. I have family, of course. You have family and friends you could turn to, but you know those things that are just so difficult that you cannot figure them out and, and talking to somebody else really isn't going to do it. And if I'm following the ways of the enemy, he's not going to help me. But I know there's a God up there that knows me. Sadly, that's where the enemy would like all of us to be, is away from God and focusing on just ourselves. And many follow that path. We don't serve God because we expect our lives to be perfect and continually joyful. If you're here today and you believe that that's why you go to church, I'm sorry, but that's just not going to happen to you. You may have a very good, joyful, continually joyful life, but that is very, very rare. God gives us seasons of these things. He gives us seasons of joy. He gives us seasons of just bliss. And then there are seasons when we have to fight and battle. We serve God because he created us. That's the bottom line. He knows us and he has a plan for us. You know, I want to follow the plan of the one who created me. There's no better plan. If you create something like Rob builds all kinds of stuff in his shop. I, he's probably built everything ever. Um, <laughs> I mean, he'll take pieces of things and, and just put them all together. And he built a speedboat last year. I remember he sent me a video of him with it. Um, and he knows exactly what's needed. When that thing breaks, he, he probably before he even, not that anything he builds breaks, but if it should break, he would probably know right right away what that probably is without because he's no, he's he literally took all the pieces and put them together if he would have given it to me i would have just threw it away and bought one from sears because they can take care of it because i can't a lot of you are like that a lot of you are very skillful in your job and you you can fix something quicker than somebody else because you know it and you understand it well god created us god cre- he knows everything he knows what he prepared he prepared prepared you for something on this earth, every single one. I don't care if you don't even know God yet or you're just finding out who God is. There is something he has for you. He does not just make people by accident at all. Nobody here is an accident. So I want to follow his plan. It only makes sense. Why would I go to an enemy who's hell-bent on sending me to hell when I could follow the God who has nothing but good for me. Not easy. Don't confuse the two. Have you ever used the end of a screwdriver to bang a nail into a wall? Or a wrench or something? Come on, I'm, I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> you, you, you really have something, you want to hang something up and you can't find the hammer, so you get whatever you can find. I don't know, a spatula or whatever, and just... I mean, eventually you get it, but the wall's all mangled up and that nail is bent and, and you've ruined something that was not meant for that nail. 
or use a hammer to bang on your car engine, hoping it'll fix it. It's like, well, I don't know how to do this, but I think if I hit it hard enough, it's probably going to fix itself. And if you're doing that with a starter, it works, by the way, but I've had to do that before. But there are certain tools for the job. There are certain things that you have to use to fix something else. You can't just, you know, throw something at it and hope it works. A lot of people do that, and we do that with our life sometimes. We don't go after the right tool, and the tool and the one that we need to go to is God because he knows what we need before we even ask it. Wouldn't that be nice to walk into, I'll just go along with the auto, auto theme, walk into an auto parts store, and they don't even have to ask you or say, I know exactly what you need. Here it is. Is it going to work? This is how you do it. Thanks. That's not how it usually works. It's like, I need a spark plug, and there's like 15,000 spark plugs and you have no idea which one it is, and, and then they give you the wrong one, and you go try to put it in your car, and then you ruin the threads, and then all of a sudden you have a bigger issue because they didn't give you the right part. Well, God always, and I say always, knows what you need. It may not be what you want at the time. It may be a difficult thing that he's asking you to do, but here's the thing. He knows you can do it. How? Because he created you. He literally has the blueprint, and he literally knows what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And you can say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. He said, of course not. It would scare the daylights out of you if you knew what I had for you. So I'm going to take you through this, but you're going to walk with me. Can you do that? Yes, I can do that. And for me, this is why we are able to rejoice, because God is in control at the end. There is nobody on this planet that has control over anyone. They might think they do, but they do not. It might feel like they are, but I tell you, God's just laughing. You can take away this freedom, that freedom. You can do anything you want, but they're my people, and I'm not going to leave them to their own. God has got it. I don't care what happens. God is in control. We belong to God. Our path is established, but we can mess that up. We need to stay on the path. And that's difficult because you know this. Some of you know this. When God calls you to something and all of a sudden it starts going off the rails, you say, it must not be God. I would caution you not to think that immediately. Don't give up because it is going to be a difficult road. But when has anything good ever happen without having to be a little bit difficult in the beginning. Stay on the path. Be joyful in the moment when things are crazy. And for a lot of you, it's been crazy. And that's just a simple word to explain it. Be, be joyful because you are being used and directed by the creator who knows what you're capable of. Have you ever felt like, I just cannot take anymore? God knows what you can take. It's like, okay, God, but come on. I'm done. I, you know, this is, this is trust me, this is as low. He said, no, I'm, I can stretch you a little bit more, and here's why. And then somewhere down the road, I guarantee you, you stay on the path. You're going to see the reason why you were stretched that way. And it will have a purpose. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. In, in all my understanding, all of what I've read and all of what I've seen, 
God has a purpose for everything. He even says that in his word. Talking about Moses, well, he would have never been traveling to the promised land had it not been for Abraham. In the book of Genesis, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and I will curse him who curses you. This is God speaking to him. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot's brother, son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechemus, as far as Terebinth, as far as the Terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched a tent in Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now, just a quick backstory on Abram. That's the first time we really know who he is. And it's the first time that God that we know of gave a promise like that to anybody. Abraham lived... In a, in a land where there was, there was absolutely no godliness. Most of them didn't even know a God existed. Most of them didn't know God. So when Abraham talked to him, when Abraham talked to him, he didn't have any context. He didn't have anybody else that had the same, you know, the same thing happen to them. So he heard, he heard this voice and he heard all these promises, and if you heard a promise like that from the wind, I guess, I don't know how he heard him, why would you do what he did? He, he left his home. He left where he was comfortable in a town that was considered modern by that time. He left that because of a word that some God person whispered to him. I'll tell you, that takes a lot of faith. Abraham never directly inherited this promised land, right? He never expected to either because God promised to give it to his descendants. Now, think about that. That, that just brings more um, context to this, right? A God whispers to him he did not know, tells him to pick up, this, from where this modern city where you're comfortable and probably you're doing fine, and just travel to this place. And by the way, this isn't really for you. It's going to be for those after you. I just thought of that, and I thought, wow. But he uprooted himself from this modern city, and away he traveled with his family, basically as nomads. 
It wasn't easy. There were battles and difficult situations to deal with. You can read that in Genesis. You can read that story and how he got there and, and everything God had done for him. But there was fighting to be done. Not only that, but in the end, Abraham ended up having to buy a piece of the promised land so he could bury his wife when she died. He would eventually be buried too, but without inheriting the promised land. So why? Why do it? Because God sees things generationally where we look at our lifetime only. Abraham answered God's call. He would not see the fulfillment of that call in his lifetime. He knew that, but he went anyway and wandered anyway. It had to start somewhere, and it had to start with someone. So the question I have to ask to myself, and I'll ask you as well, is am I willing to go where God calls me even if I don't see the promise fulfilled in my lifetime? You know, that happens more than you think. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to, to sacrifice for another generation? Because that's what God asked us to do. That's not the feel-good feel Christianity that we all like to think we have because we think that I give and I get. I give God something, he's going to give me a little bit more. He said, like, percentage-wise, you know, if I, I'm, I'm being kind of silly, but God says, if I do this, you know, and then he's going to bless me tenfold. And we look for the blessing and we look for all the stuff and it becomes a give-and-take thing and we feel like we're giving too much and he's taking too much. And there's no joy, and I don't see it. I don't see God. I don't see what you're asking me to do. I, I've done all the work, but why can't I sit now and just rest and, and, and not be weary? Abraham was thankful and joyful for the promise and was faithful to the task. He knew it would benefit his children's children and beyond. As we, are we willing to do that? Are we really willing to go where God wants us, knowing that we're not going to really see what he's promised, but we know that we are the catalyst to get it going? See, that's, to me, that's, that's a deep faith right there. But I, I'll tell you today that I believe that more and more God is looking for us to do that, to, to be the start of something, even though while we're on this earth, we might not see the fruits of it. I'll tell you, it takes a greater amount of faith to start something knowing that you'll never see it completely filled in your lifetime. But I know this, even in those moments, God had blessed Abraham. He didn't give him what he thought he would get. Well, he knew he wouldn't get it. He wouldn't give him the promised land. But all through those trials and battles, as he moved forward in God's plan, operating in what God had him do, there were many, many times where he was joyful and blessed for it. Abraham had that kind of faith, and he said yes to a God that spoke to him. A God that, to our knowledge, you know, had never spoken to anyone else in the days of Abraham. Abraham, by faith, said yes. I'll leave this comfortable place and go where you send me. And God called him righteous for believing. 
And yet, we get to see the lives of those who have gone before us in our Bibles, who have authored what we call the Bible. We get to see all those stories and all those um, chronicles. We see all of the times God rescued, loved, saved, healed, protected those who would follow after him. We know the stories of great faith. We've heard them all. We've seen how it ended for them. We've seen the big picture. In other words, we don't need to exhibit that as great a faith as Abraham had today. It'd be nice, but we don't need it because a lot of our faith is wrapped up in the stories of those who have gone before us. You understand? We see that. We see the proof of what God has done. We see the results of his faith and, and the ones that went before him, and that should give us hope. But let me be clear. The only generation that the enemy cares about right now is the current ones. You know, the enemy wants us to think we are the most important person on the planet and everything should revolve around us. In the back of your mind, you go, yep, I know who that is. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't benefit you, don't bother. Why waste your time? Hurt whoever you need to and get wherever you want to be by any means. Your feelings are the only thing that matters. Your comfort is the only thing that matters. So base every decision off those things. The feelings of others are of no consequence to you. See, we worry about the here and now, and we neglect the hereafter. At the end of a life, at the end of a life like that, you may feel like your life, you know, was good and comfortable, and you did everything you set out to do. Most would say, well done, he or she had a great life. But folks, that is not our goal. The only well done I want to hear is from the Father. Did I do something to impact the generations? Because they need you. There's a couple different generations in here. The generation below you needs you. Needs you to step up. They need you to teach. They need you to be honest. And honesty is not always fun. And truth is hard to hear, but you need to keep telling it. Did I start something knowing that it would go beyond me and be used to bring others to the kingdom? That's a selfless type of faith. When, you just, when God just says, I'm going to use you, you're not going to get anything, any earthly glory out of this. In fact, it's probably going to wear you out physically. But in my reading in Scripture, whenever God did that with people and used people, he gave them joy unspeakable. He gave them joy in moments where they shouldn't have it. He, they, they rested when they had no... Have you ever just gone to bed with a million things going through your head, or is that just me? Or wake up at 3 in the morning with a million things going through your head? Think about some of these people that we read about in Scripture. David's one of them who is being just hunted by Saul and his army everywhere he went, but yet he was able to lay his head and rest because God allowed him to, and God gave him that unspeakable rest when you couldn't find it. They didn't have NyQuil back then, so this is what they had to do. They didn't have sleeping pills that you could take and just try to forget. God, when he uses you, 
He takes care of you. He even takes care of some of your wants. He takes care of every need, but he will even take care of some of your wants. Did I pour into something or someone without expecting it to benefit me? You ever spent time with somebody and just felt like it's going nowhere and feel like it was a waste of your time? Well, if God had asked you to do it, it certainly wasn't. You might feel that way, but you never know how you impact somebody. You may never know on this side how you impacted somebody. This is why we can rejoice even when we don't feel it. Because we know when we're following God that we are in his plan. The one who created us, the one who already knows your DNA and knows exactly what you were built for and we're operating in that, we can rejoice. We rejoice because we know that we have an impact on eternity when we follow after God. You absolutely do. When you're operating in the gifts that God has given you and the call that he's put on your heart and you've impacted people, many of you here have, you're impacting these kids. They've been impacted for, since we've been here. Many teachers and, and leaders have come in and just poured into these kids. That is an impact on eternity because a lot of them are going to know Christ because you took the time out to teach. We rejoice because the difficulties we face today while serving God will benefit the next generation. We have to have generation on our minds. It can't be just about us and what we get in this lifetime. I know this is probably not a fun thing to hear. It sounds like a lot of work. But I tell you, God created us for a reason. And he wants us to operate within the structure that he's given to us. A budding modern-day philosopher named Liam Kuplan, who also happens to be my nephew, says, life is life. That's what he says. He's a younger kid, and he's got older sisters who are teenagers, and he hears all the complaints. And he'll just say, you know what? Life is life. So I looked up the word life in the dictionary, because I always do that. Not the word life, but any word. Life is the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. Isn't that a great way to describe life? <laughs> I'm full of life. I'm full of organic matter, and, I, and I'm going to die one day. But also, the dictionary says that life is a breakfast cereal made by Quaker Oats Company, a subsidiary of PepsiCo. It was formerly made of oats, I like this. They don't really go in to explain it. It says, it was formerly made of oats, soy, protein, concentrate, sodium, cassoninate, and sugar. I don't know what it's made of now. It just says it was formerly made. Life is life. But Liam has a point. We have a choice in how we live our life. We talked about choices last week and the choice to rejoice or the choice to just, you know what, just sit there and sulk and, and, and sour. And I'm not saying we're all going to do that because we're human. Something's going to go wrong and your go-to is just like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. I've said that a few times in the last three weeks. Some of you know. Um, but that shouldn't be our go-to. Our go-to should be rejoice. 
And boy, you have to force yourself. And that's okay. It doesn't come organically, you understand? The things that God says, you know, rejoice when you're in sorrow. He's not expecting you to feel like rejoicing. He knows we're human. He knows that we are um, distinguished, distinguished from animals and plants. We're inorganic matter. We, all that stuff, he knows that about us. But it's your choice to rejoice in a situation. So life is a choice. Do we live for ourselves or do we live for God? And, and I, here's what I can't promise you. I can't promise you your life's going to be good, going to be perfect. I know it won't be following God, and I also can't promise it for the other, but I know that eternally you're, you're good. You follow after God. The two choices are pretty simple. It boils down to this. One will last about 100 years and impact one person, yourself. And the other will last for eternity and will impact a generation. Choose wisely. Today I choose to live for God, not myself. Because so many of this upcoming generation needs you. And you're not too young or too old. We just, we just saw little Benjamin over there. Some of you that are in your teens, well, that's a different generation. You can have an impact now. You don't have to wait. Has anybody here felt like not rejoicing this week? I'm the only one? I should just leave him. You guys should pastor. It only tells me I'm the only one telling the truth here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But seriously, it's going to be difficult. Life is going to be difficult because humans are humans and we're going to do stupid things to each other. That's just how it is. But God knows you. If you don't know God, talk to me after service. God knows you. He designed you. He knows every single part of you. He knows all the quirks, everything. And you know what? He uses every bit of you for his purpose if you allow him. And that's the difference is you have to allow him. Our God doesn't just take over. He could, but he gives us a free will. And that's why everything is a choice for us. Wouldn't it be nice if God just like, you know, just gave us, we just did everything that we're supposed to do. Everything would be good. It would be, but it would be fake to God. It wouldn't be genuine love. It would just be robots that he created that, you know, it's not, this is, this is what God wants. He wants our heart. He's given you a choice. And when you choose him and accept him, that's why he says angels rejoice when we do that. So listen, as you go today, you're going to be challenged to rejoice probably an hour after you leave this parking lot um, in some situation. Do it. Even if you have to just, you know, I'm rejoicing. I'm not going to let this get to me. Say it and then pray it. And, I, and, you know, God will live up to what he's promised. I, I guarantee it is tough out there. The world's gone nuts. We, we know that. It's going to continue to go nuts. And every generation is going to say the same thing. It's nuts. It's never been this way before. 
It's because we keep changing, because we keep, keep getting more enlightened as a species, and we think we know everything, and then God's just up there going, you are so wrong on so many levels. Um, but it's always going to be that way. We might have times where things are good, or we feel things are good, um, but we're relying on human beings here. God is good all the time. We don't have to worry about going to God and it's like, nope, I'm not doing this today. Sorry, I'm not in the mood. He will never turn you down. It's not going to be easy all the time, but you, we need to follow him. Do you believe that today? Amen. Amen. Listen, I thank you for coming here today. And, um, you know, we're going to continue this rejoicing thing. I was joking with my parents when I picked them up today because my car broke down amidst many other things this week. I don't know when I'll ever get it back, but I was just saying, you know, I said I should have chose a different sermon series. Started talking about rejoicing, and I'm now getting opportunities all over the place to rejoice when I don't want to. Not that that's a big thing, but, you know, it's just funny how God works. But you learn a lot through those things. And you do, it is a choice, and you have a choice to make. So I, I challenge you this week to make those choices. And let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear from you next week. If you have something you want to share, I'd love for you to come up and tell me. I think it would be great for people to hear what, what, you, have, um, what you have done. Are you preaching next week or am I? Check my schedule. Ah. What, is, what is next Sunday's date? Uh, I'll be here. All right, so you can still come up. Don't worry about him. He'll be the week after. But um, thank you all for coming. I appreciate you. Um, thanks for coming out here today. Enjoy the rest of your day and rejoice in all things when? All right. God bless. Cause we're